You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. This guy has at least two DUIs. Flats look like a Scooby-Doo ghost town. Don't slow down in East Cleveland or you'll die. Our economy's based on LeBron James. Buy a house for the price of a beast. Hey everybody, welcome to Reporting as Eligible. Uh, we just had the Tyler Huntley Bowl and it, it came out as we expected, so that's good. Um, <laughs> the Paul Noonan Bowl? Is that what it was? It was kind of the Paul Noonan Bowl, honestly. It couldn't have gone much better for me personally. <laughs> yes, you got everything you wanted got, out of this yep, game. I got, I got everything I wanted. I, I just threaded that needle perfectly with the Packers getting a win and my guy playing really well. Um, and the rest of the NFL just like, just... Um, giving the Packers everything they wanted too, so uh, worked out really well. Um, we we didn't get hit by COVID. I think that's coming, but hasn't happened yet. Um, but uh, it was a fun. It was a fun game, a close game. Um, the Packers won, but there it was certainly not a dominant performance by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and uh, I don't know. I start. Oh, I should introduce people. Um, there's just there's just one of you. Who are you? There is. Yeah, so I'm J.R. Radcliffe, training sports reporter for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. We uh, unfortunately do not have a tub yet again this uh, for this podcast, but uh, it'll be it'll be a two hander. We'll, yep. uh, we'll we'll discuss it. There's a this is a pretty rich text. There's a lot going on in this game. I feel <laughs> I agree with that. Um, it was a a lot of storylines and and a lot happening. So um, it was it was very interesting, if nothing else. And uh, like I I would like to start w- with Tyler Huntley himself, who. Um, uh, you know, I've been preaching that is good for as long as he literally as long as he's been in the league since draft day when he wasn't drafted, um, and finally got his shot. He, he's had one start before, but it was a kind of a short notice start. He um, there was more more time to prep for a Tyler Huntley game this week for the Ravens, and uh, really kind of showed everything I've ever seen him do on tape and in statistics. Uh, he was very accurate with his throws. He, he even. He missed like two throws that I think were bad throws, mm-hmm. but on a lot of his incompletions, he like hit guys in the hands, even when good coverage was there. Um, and he was he was very mobile, and aside from rushing for two touchdowns and a bunch of yards, really did use his mobility while keeping his eyes downfield, trying to find guys. So, um, did a, a really nice job. Um, Aaron Rodgers had a crazy game, and so like I kept looking at the stats, comparing them like at the advanced stats, and Aaron's are just like off the charts great, which is how Aaron rolls a lot of the time. But uh, uh, Tyler Huntley had uh, 0.24 EPA per play, which is really good number. Um, Aaron's was like 0.6, which is ridiculous, and um, he had 3.4 CPOE. So basically, an average quarterback making Tyler Huntley's throws would have been expected to complete three and a half percent fewer of them than he did. Uh, and you know, if you, when you go to your backup, one of the things that usually suffers is that st- that stat particularly because they're not as accurate in making the throws in the playbook. And Huntley came out and was a little bit better of a pocket passer than Lamar Jackson usually is. So um, he he did great, especially for a guy in his second ever start as an unheralded, undrafted um, player. 
And uh, I'm, I don't know, I'm just very happy to see it and happy that it also didn't cast, cost the Packers a win. He tried to tell you all. He yep. tried to tell the world about Tyler Huntley. You've been preaching the Huntley gospel. And uh, and it almost it almost became too much for, for Packers fans to bear. I thought there were a couple things, that, and I think the last drive of the game really illustrate both of the things I'm, I'm thinking of that that might have played out better if Huntley were a regular a regular starting quarterback. One is that I, I feel like a lot of his success can be traced, or, or I, I shouldn't say a lot of his success, but the, if the Packers had had Kenny Clark up the middle, I do think it's a different game. I felt like most mm-hmm. of the time he always had that option to step up and then step back. He always had that chance to like, you know, basically gave he had another, he had options, you know, he could always make a, make a move forward if, if that's what the defense was giving him. And if that didn't work, he could bail out and go back into a pocket passer mode. I don't think he has those options if Kenny Clark is there and, and on the touchdown, that's not the last drive of the game, but the touchdown, Oh no, that's the last drive of the game. Uh, his, his rushing touchdown right up the gut. Yep. That's not going to happen when Kenny Clark is on the field. <laughs> Uh, Kenny Clark so, has a lot of knock-on effects for the Packers, too. And um, the entire Ravens passing game, no matter who's back there, is very focused on middle of the field. Like, there's a reason Mark Andrews got targeted 13 times in this game, um, mostly on over-the-middle passes. And if Clark's there, it's not just that he's getting pressure up the middle. It's also that Campbell can get a little bit deeper drop, that the run game gets stopped a little more often. And it isn't mm-hmm. that cheat up to to stop the Ravens running backs. Um, and the safeties don't have to be quite as concerned with other responsibilities either. So um, he, I agree with you. He would have made a huge difference in this game. Uh, the the middle is where the Ravens make their bread, you know, their bread and butter. And if you've got another middle defender there, it messes them up quite a bit. And that's maybe why we saw Campbell trailing a bunch of plays. I think he played better than he did the week before coming yep. off of COVID, but uh, he wasn't maybe the the eye popping factor that he'd been. And that's maybe because Clark is is not there. Um, the other thing is, and you mentioned Mark Andrews. I feel like toward the end of the game, he got he got pretty predictable like he was he was turning to the right he was throwing right usually that was the 89 that was to mark andrews yep. and it worked a lot of the game but <laughs> i think at the end you know obviously we talk we could talk about the two-point conversion and I'm, I'm sure we'll we'll mention it uh that play in particular you know he there was only one place he was going and you know obviously you could say this game was won by a fingertip but darnell savage's <laughs> fingertip on that ball perhaps or maybe eric stokes defends that anyway i don't know yeah. but um there was, but, but there was some predictability there that I think maybe played into, even on that drive, even the success they had on that drive, maybe it plays into how the two-point conversion gets defended. Yep, definitely. Uh, and uh, uh, even a good throw, there's a good chance I think Stokes knocks it down too. Um, mm-hmm. It was it was not a good throw. It was one of his worst throws of the game. It was definitely behind him. And Savage, Tried to throw on the run when I'm not sure he needed to. Yeah, that too. Um, and if he would have just been a little more patient and had a little bit better vision, um, Hollywood Brown was about a tenth of a second from being wide open, uh, trailing the play in the back of the end zone, and he mm-hmm. just didn't see him. Uh, so he, there was definitely a locking on to Mark Andrews problem later in the game. And there were a lot of um, designed plays for other Raven receivers. It was kind of Andrews was first read or... Um, it was schemed to somebody else, and he did not. Go, he he didn't have a great game going through progressions. Uh, part of that was that the Packer outside corners did a really good job on Hollywood Brown. I mean, Hollywood Brown actually was targeted fourteen times in this game. I saw that. <laughs> um, we so, weren't even sure he was going to play. Like he had yep. illness all week, so that's a, that's amazing. Right, right. But it's not like they weren't trying to use him. Uh, he <laughs> and it's not like Huntley wasn't throwing to him, but. Uh, Eric Stokes had him for a large portion of the game and did a fantastic job on him, and he just wasn't open. Um, he he had a lot of passes defended. Stokes got a lot of hands on balls near him, and uh, 
he earned his receptions against very good coverage. So um, it's not like it was totally an Andrews one-man show. It's just Andrews was winning his battles, and uh, they got kind of stuck in that paradigm near the end of the game especially. So maybe the fact that Darnell Savage became one of the main characters of this game ended up being a good thing in the <laughs> at the very, very end. I mean, it gave us all heart attacks if uh, if we thought that the game was over when the when the Packers had, you know, what, what is that, a 14-point lead in the fourth quarter with like nine minutes to go, and yep. the Ravens have only had the ball twice in the second half at that point. I mean, it felt about as over as it could be. There was that fourth down play where they kind of swung it out to the running back, and he just kind of, he just kind of dropped it like very, like, disinterestedly it felt like it felt like the ravens were surrendering we, we they certainly were not uh but uh but darnell savage if we're, if we're starting to talk about the defense uh it, it it certainly was not his best game he gets to play at the end a little bit of redemption but uh ee, i don't know man and and you're seeing a trend here with this guy right yeah uh he has not had a a great season and uh, i i feel like He's he's a good athletic cover guy, but against size, he definitely has some problems. And uh, this game, I, I feel like actually Joe Barry and Matt LaFleur just didn't make a great read on the way that you're going to have to stop Mark Andrews, who's getting away with a lot of contact, which um, yeah, there was a lot of complaining from Packer fans on his first touchdown that he committed blatant pass interference, which, fine, that's true, but OPI doesn't get called that much. And once Savage starts getting... Savage is not a big player. He's a very small safety. He is super athletic. Um, but once he starts getting pushed around, you got to switch that up. You got to go to, uh, this, they actually did. They went to Kevin King later on. That's not a good solution either. Um, Kevin King's easy to push around too. Um, it, it screamed for Adrian Amos to start taking him and that really never happened. But, uh, Savage is a li- still a little bit weak technique wise against, uh, in coverage sometimes. And this was probably his worst game of the season. Uh, he, he did a nice job making up for it at the end, flashing you know, across the front of the goal line as fast as possible. But uh, I, I do wish they would have made a better adjustment on Andrews later on. I'm glad it worked out for the last play of the game, but uh, uh, Savage was just getting beat every which way that you can. And it's, it's worth mentioning, Mark Andrews is maybe... The, it's possible... I wouldn't say he's the best tight end in football. I just I just have too much belief in George Kittle, who I know has been <laughs> in, injured here and there. But like Mark Andrews is in that conversation, right? Yeah. Like he is he is one of the best tight ends in the NFL. He's probably the second or third best tight end in the NFL. Okay, depending on yeah, how he's you not feel. just some nobody. Yeah, depending on how you feel about Gronkowski, he's better than um, Travis Kelsey is at this point. I, I'm yeah very confident what about- in that. Uh, and I guess that's interesting to me because I'd be curious to know what tight ends the Packers could potentially face in the playoffs because this is not new. They've they've had trouble defending tight ends in the past. Uh, it's just that there aren't many elite ones. You know, like you you could talk about Kelsey in the Super Bowl. Maybe I, I think you could be afraid of Kittle if, if Kittle. the 49ers. I think Gronkowski yeah, is the one really that you want, you want to worry about. Sure, sure. And I don't know a lot about Dalton Schultz with the, with the Cowboys, but I guess that's another name. To he's maybe, just a guy. Maybe keep an eye on. He is. <laughs> yeah, okay. he's All just right. a guy. Um, He's so fine. you're not likely outside of Gronk, you're not likely to see see someone in the in the NFC playoffs that are that are truly going to make that back that big of a difference. I, I have felt like anecdotally they're better against tight ends, but you're telling me not so much that they're that really they're poor pretty... efficiency wise against them. Um, tight ends catch like 85 percent of passes against the Packer defense, so there's not a ton of huge games. Um, Kittle had a a decently huge game against against them earlier. Um, TJ Hawkinson actually got him pretty good in in uh, the first Lions game. Uh, but the one thing they don't do is deny tight ends the ball. They're really, really bad at that. Uh, and the good, like, Andrews and Kittle have already eaten them up pretty good. 
So if you get a guy of their talent level in the playoffs, it could definitely be a problem for them. Sure. So let me ask this, though. Mark Andrews had a huge first half. Yeah, it was it was evident to everyone in the whole wide world that the ball was going to continue going to 89. And then it did. So what makes that adjustment difficult? Because, of course, you're going to hear, why aren't they making adjustments? Why aren't they putting <laughs> another guy on Mark Andrews? It's so much easier said than done. But what what do you think, like, ultimately, what prevents them from being able to to fix the problem mid game? It really is that, that good tight ends are just a hard cover for a lot of guys. And especially if contact is not being allowed, uh, if if it's a, a tightly called game, you can just put a good cornerback on a guy to deny him the ball, and that's fine. Um, the problem that you do run into with with the George Kittles of the world and Mark Andrews is when they do start getting getting some body because you can't cover them with a linebacker. They're, um, any decent tight end is going to be much too fast for Devondre Campbell, much too fast for any Packer linebacker, uh, which puts you in having to put a safety out there. And Amos is kind of the only truly normal-sized safety that they have on the roster to, to a large extent. Like Henry Black's super fast and a good athlete, even though he's bad. Um, but he is going to get out physical the same way that Darnell is, got out physical in this game, and you know King's King's weird. He's 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 a big non-physical player. I don't even it's weird. Like you're going to have to devote like Russell Douglas to that if if it goes down that far, and then then you can't use him on a receiver. So sure. um, that's it, it, you get kind of a trickle down effect um, if you have to devote real talent to stopping a tight end. Um, and then if you put two slide of a guy on a tight end, you get basically the little Fleur Shanahan problem where um, they can flip into power run and target your small corner with a power run directly at him. And that's also problematic, although not as bad as getting passed on for 15 yards of completion. So um, it's a tough match. Tight ends really make uh, defensive coordinators lives miserable if they're any good at all. It's, it's a tricky defend. It's why the 49ers rely so much on George Kittle and why mm. Mark Andrews is such a weapon. So like you said, the Packers take care of business on the outside to to mitigate the overall passing game. And that's why, you know, they were able to to get off the field a few times. R- Rashawn Gary, it seems like this could be a Kenny Clark uh, trickle down effect. I'm not sure, but it seems like this might have been his first first game where he really I don't want to say struggled. He, you know, I, I know he had a either a sack or I think it was a TFL, not a sack, but uh, he was in the backfield a few times. But it seems like he lost maybe contain a little bit too much. Yeah, he was really good whenever the play went away from him and he had to chase it down from the backside because he is just super fast. But uh, they took advantage of him definitely losing contain and not setting the edge properly a whole bunch of times rolling to his side. Um, That is, I think, just a discipline issue with him. He's had such good luck uh, the last few games just shooting up field and overpowering guys and getting to quarterbacks that um, when he finally ran into a mobile one who could maybe, you know, take advantage of him shooting too far upfield, he didn't adjust very quickly, and he did not have a great game. Now, it wasn't a terrible game. He still got pressure, um, and he still made quite a few plays. But a lot of the big running plays that they had were to Gary's side and were his responsibility. So my, my colleague Tom Silverstein does not believe that Jair Alexander is coming back. He said so on the Green 19 podcast. Alexander's obviously been practicing but hasn't played yet since that shoulder injury. Unclear to me if they're going to get him back at any point. I don't know, maybe the playoffs. I'm, I'm guessing they wouldn't have him practice if they didn't think that was it. that was at least on the table. Do you think this team can win playoff games from what you've seen with Eric Stokes and Rizul Douglas? Because those guys I know have been really good, but yeah. they're still highly unproven commodities. If those are your starting cornerbacks in the NFL playoffs, are you are you comfortable with that? Or I mean, have they have they shown you enough where you're like, yes, let's do it. We're, we're here. Let's do it. I am. Uh, so I would have said no, like a few days ago. Um, 
but much more so now just because Tampa suffered just a, a horrendous injuries to the receiving core. Yeah, uh, what, yeah, yeah. What you really get hurt bad by without Alexander. I mean, it's always much better to have Alexander if you can have Alexander. But um, it's where it stretches your depth that you run into issues. And Tampa Bay with um, Chris Godwin and Mike Evans and um, and Scotty, whatever his name is, and potentially Antonio <laughs> Brown coming gone. back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Scotty Miller. Um, He's gone too. Puts yeah, puts pressure on you. But now they have none of those people. And uh, Mike Evans is probably going to come back, but he has hamstring injuries. Those linger for a while, um, and he, he he's not their go-to guy anyway. Um, so that puts them in a much more difficult situation. I would say the only the only team that's really scary with their receiving core is Dallas at this point, um, and. Uh, maybe the uh, the scariest team outside of Green Bay remaining, just because they've largely avoided terrible injuries and have a pretty deep core. But I think you know when push comes to shove, they can get by most of these teams with with less than full strength at the cornerbacks, which you know, wasn't true before. But I think kind of now is it, it, better to have Jair because I think they're a super defense with him. But I think they can do it, especially if the offense keeps just blowing people out. Yeah, just like last year, Tampa Bay having problems with the Saints, uh, getting shut out of all things on uh, on Sunday Night Football, losing Chris Godwin. At first, they thought he might just be out for the regular season, but then tests revealed that he tore his ACL, so he's gone. Evans is banged up. Scotty Miller has been a <laughs> – I should know his name. <laughs> we should for know his name because he beat us really badly. I know, yeah, I Scott know. Miller. But he's been out for quite some time. He's yes, not he has. Back. No, so, he's not. So they are, they are very depleted and looking the part yep. after that loss to the Saints. They lost and, Leonard and, Fournette in that game, too. Not that he's right. a receiver, but like just another weapon. But he weapon. might go on IR. Yeah. Yeah, and that's uh, now the Packers. Uh, I, I wrote about this, of course. Everybody writes about tiebreakers this time of year at JSOnline.com. I love doing it. That's, uh, that's one of the things I focused on, that the Packers now essentially – there are some scenarios where the Buccaneers win a tiebreaker against the Packers. It involves three-way ties. It involves not for the number one seed, really. Uh, for the most part, though, the Packers are going to finish in a tiebreaker ahead of Tampa Bay. They could still, Packers, of course, could still lose a bunch of games. Their last, you know, two of their last three, Tampa Bay could leapfrog them on record alone. Tampa Bay has Carolina twice and the Jets once. I think it doesn't matter who's hurt. I think Tampa Bay will win their last three games. But when it comes to tiebreakers, uh, the Bucs having four NFC losses, the the Packers with just just two. I mean, the Packers are, first of all, absolutely going to have to lose to like Minnesota and Detroit for this to matter. And uh, I don't know if we see that happening anyway, e- even then, if it's head to head, the Packers have the edge. So uh, so that's a very promising situation to be in. In other words, obviously, Tampa won at Lambeau last year, but I'm sure they would much rather have the Buccaneers in January on their uh, on their home surface. So, absolutely. So- that's a promising situation. Dallas is really the last th- fly in the ointment. You know, they're a game behind the Packers. They the Packers don't really have much in terms of tie-breaking advantage for now over Dallas. Nope. So kind of if the Packers aren't going to win their last three games, they need Dallas to lose again too. Packers obviously have a game lead on everybody in the NFL, so they can they can win out and they'll win the, the top seed. But Dallas, uh, Dallas remains kind of the trickiest remaining obstacle. Of course, Mike McCarthy, somebody's just put it as clearly as possible. How ridiculous would it be if Mike McCarthy is the team that bounces Aaron Rodgers and from his last Packers game his it, last Packers season it would be infuriating even more so because it wouldn't actually be Mike McCarthy doing it it would be Kellen Moore and um oh right and uh, shoot I was with their D coordinator the Atlanta former head coach um who uh, is 
yeah, I'm also drawing a blank. I want to call. Him, I want to say Mike Smith, but that's a totally different, uh, totally different era. I'm in. Uh, in any event, that will not Dan, be how Dan it's Quinn. Framed. Dan Quinn. Yeah. Dan Quinn. Yeah, that's not how it'll be framed. No one's going to talk about Kellen Moore and Dan Quinn in the nope. aftermath. Not not locally. Not in Green Bay. Nope. So uh, on the other hand, there might be some some measure of sweetness if the Packers, in fact, beat the Cowboys to advance to the Super Bowl. That's that's on the table as well. So uh, so yeah. Should we talk a little more about Aaron Rodgers and his uh, and his play in this game against Baltimore? Yeah, um, because just all superlatives on Aaron Rodgers. The only problem with the offense in this game was a brief stint where they ran the ball too much, and that's kind of it. Um, the one thing Baltimore's defense was um, in shambles in this game. Not yeah, their fault. Just, just they, destroyed their entire secondary, which isn't that great to start with, was entirely injured. They lost their slot corner during the game. Uh, and um, they're they're good at stopping the run, and the Packers um, came out, and it's not like they like they didn't run too much in this game. I don't want to be accused of saying that, but their first couple drives, they had uh, a couple of first and second down run combinations. First with um, Aaron Jones, where he got six yards, and then with AJ Dillon, where he got six yards total, and uh, it slowed them down a little bit. Uh, it resulted in a punt, um, and uh, but I mean that's really it. it that's the only bad thing. Everything else was dynamite. Aaron was um, playing outstanding football. They did a nice job doubling Devontae Adams, and he did a very nice job using the other weapons for like kind of the first time all year. This this is like an old-school Favre game where he's he's got like four targets per receiver um, out there. Usually this Packer team is like Devontae gets 14 and everybody else gets like two. And <laughs> and this was not that. Um, MVS had uh, the same number of targets as Devontae, did very well with them, um, uh, catching some really tight window throws from Aaron. Um, the tight ends as a unit were great in this game, um, a- actually be- being a force for the first time ever. Mercedes Lewis was good. Um, but Fun to watch, Mercedes Lewis. Fun to watch. <laughs> Extremely fun to watch, Mercedes Lewis. That's a reference we might need to explain. Yes, it is. Um, uh, I don't know. Should we do that now? I'm always free yelling at you. Uh, yes, but but first, um, okay. MVS being used <laughs> as a traditional receiver is is a different different vibe you know not just a home run threat that was that was nice to see he obviously gets the touchdown to tie Brett Favre's record for for Aaron Rodgers on a beautiful lunging you know put it in the Louvre fully horizontal love to see that it was gorgeous gorgeous uh gorgeous aesthetically but also just uh just a tremendous game from MBS and now he's in the COVID protocol which is unfortunate yes indeed. uh for for the Cleveland game maybe maybe he'll come back but that's that's a tough blow if they don't have him uh and funny because as good as Aaron was there were there were a couple throws he'd love to have back the Lazard throw into the end zone that yep. that honestly could have put this game out of reach that was uh, an overthrow the Adams and then, double uh, he, move on the third play of the game uh, absolutely missed a touchdown I mean that's a that's a touchdown or a 70 yard gain or something if not <laughs> so like uh yeah so the, it's he's just he was so good that he could even overcome a couple pretty bad misses there um that Lazard touchdown at the time you know they were up two scores it didn't feel like that big a deal that's but true. then uh in, in retrospect, it was like, oh man, they needed that touchdown. Yeah, turned into a big one. But what are you going to do? Also, r- really quick, um, God, I, I have to look up his name every t- every single time. Tyler Davis, who has, <laughs> who has a super generic name. Um, I feel like he is just a combination of every sort of third tight end in the history of the franchise rolled into one boring name. Tyler Tyler Davis is, is has not played very much. Um, but ran a very nice seam route for 22 yards in this game. And uh, I watched him after that. He was good. He was a good blocker. Um, I checked his RAS card after the game. He's pretty athletic. 
Um, you you could you maybe have something here. I mean, he's the third tight end, but worth keeping an eye on Tyler Davis when he's on the field because that was a very athletic play down the field, and we haven't had that since Tanyan went on IR. So, um, shout out to Tyler Davis. Yeah, that was a great play down the field and the pass to MVS where there was no window. I know that's gotten a lot of pub uh, since that game. Just the the screenshots of there's just nowhere for that football to go. And yep. yet Aaron Rodgers made it, willed it into existence, reminiscent of that Super Bowl touchdown he threw to Greg Jennings. Just incredible stuff. And uh, uh, but yeah, the tight ends, Tyler Davis, uh, Mercedes Lewis, a, a blast to watch. We uh, we love Mercedes, and uh, you wanted to to discuss how the people <laughs> pro football focus think about Mercedes Lewis, our guy. Yes, they think uh, they think he's no fun. Which whatever, they whatever think he's no fun. fun. So, um, and I I I was hope not having Matt's going to cost me a a butchered name here because I don't I have an Irish name, but my Irish name is pronounced phonetically. But there are a lot of Irish names that are not pronounced phonetically, and Dyer Carragher has one. I'm sure that's wrong. But a good follow on Twitter, a good analyst who actually lives in Ireland, um, a young kid, um, just did a random tweet, somewhat hyperbolic, as we all do once in a while, that Mercedes Lewis is the most fun Packer to watch. And like the big PFF uh, show just found that tweet. Oh, Dyer has a blue check mark. That's why they found it. And um, made fun of him, basically saying, well, it's Mercedes Lewis. He's not fun to watch. He's a really old, slow, tight end. Um, and... Uh, and there are much better people on your team, like Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, who are more fun. Um, but uh, then PFF got made fun of on Twitter for that by lots of people, including Matt, uh, who's not here to defend himself. But I just want to say, um, PFF shouldn't be getting pedantic and making fun of anybody for any reason. They, uh, they are terrible ambassadors for analytics. And um, getting ultra literal on things like this and making fun of just fans of teams is just an asshole thing to do. Especially when like you get made fun of routinely for your crappy grades, which you do the 10th point, which uh, you can't, you can't do that. Don't have things to the 10th point if they're just estimates, because that gives them the, uh, the look of science without being science. And they do, they do a lot of good analytics work, particularly Eric eager, but most of it's behind a $400 paywall. And uh, most of it's not public, like their war stat, and uh, that's that's annoying too. So, so anyway, aside from that, Mercedes Lewis is actually awesome, and <laughs> if you take the time to actually watch Mercedes Lewis play, it's just a beautiful thing. He is still like the best blocking tight end in football, even though he is ancient. Uh, he crushes people in run in run blocking, and he is still basically an extra tackle in pass defense, even though he is a tight end. And then. Whenever Mercedes does get to catch a pass, it's just incredibly beautiful. He had one in this game where he tried to pull off an awesome spin move. And every time he catches the ball, he is just like offended at the very fact that you allowed him to catch a ball and (laughs) turns into your dad and tries to punish you for allowing him to catch a ball. Um, He has a great stiff arm. He has giant hands, by the way. His Razcard has a 10 on the hand spot. Um, And that stiff arm is just deadly. So he's great. Whenever he catches it, you know, somebody's going to get plowed over. And uh, Mercedes is a joy to watch. And they're they're just wrong on an aesthetic level. So if you're going to be wrong on statistics, at least be right on aesthetics, which they're not. So uh, PFF is all bad here. Yes, this rant included them pulling his 40 time from years ago yes, from his, you know, it did. <laughs> as a means of describing how he's not fun. Fun is not something you can quantify, guys. Don't bust out a 40 time to tell me how a player isn't fun to watch. But uh, but yes, I love it. I, one of the reasons, of course, that I that I love 
when when big fellas get the ball in their hands is it you know kind of feels like the every man i'm a i'm a big dude i like it when big dudes get to celebrate now i recognize that those guys are athletes in another dimension compared to people like me but it doesn't feel like it they're the closest analog to uh to to the common man so uh mercedes lewis is not like a defensive lineman but he's a big dude he's been around forever so he's old He's slow. I mean, he's he slows molasses by NFL standards. Yep. And you know what? That's fine because he's going to go out there. He's going to truck dudes and he's going to still be in the NFL long after players who were drafted a year or two or three after him are in the announcing booth. Greg Olson, who had a great career, was drafted after Mercedes Lewis. And Greg Olson is an up and coming <laughs> announcer in the uh, in the broadcast world. So, like, you know, show some respect to Mercedes Lewis. Also, he's a tremendous blocker. He gets the job done. And. I honestly think the Packers, you know, they probably won a game or two here because of contributions from Mercedes Lewis. They've had some close calls and uh, Mercedes is certainly he's not hurting him. That's for sure. He is so uh, he is fun. It's fun watching him just truck dudes. If you like old school football, you should love watching the glacial, the glacial majesty that is Mercedes Lewis. I just like terrified cornerbacks who uh, end up in front of him because it, it is always cornerbacks. Like most right. of his most of his receptions are on like play action fakes where he leaks out or or something like that where it's just him and a smaller guy between him and well the first down marker to the end zone and you know that guy's just like ah dang it really do I have to do this um, because it, it's it's painful like it's it's one thing to have to go through Mercedes blocking but it's an entirely new thing to have Mercedes trying to go through you. And uh, that's when the real fun starts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They can catch him, but they, they also have to bring him down. Yep. So uh, God bless if you're if you're the cornerback, especially an undersized one trying to bring that guy down. Yeah. Um, OK, so before we move off the offense, like you're pointing out, Aaron, Aaron was great. Uh, if there is sort of a, I don't know, a, a gray lining to our uh, to our silver cloud i'm not sure if i did that right but uh <laughs> let's let's go with it you know this is the the fourth game i would i would consider san francisco cincinnati this game in arizona all in the same boat all road games all tough games that uh came down to the wire uh, i would say though that something kind of crazy had to happen for the packers to win all four of them in this case in the baltimore game first of all it's them choosing to go for two which is a ballsy call i think uh yep. i agree with it i think most people you know you could probably go either way the way they were banged up, the way they had the Packers on their heels at that point, it made perfect sense to me. Uh, not not because of analytics, just because of common sense. You know, they've got a yep. bigger game against Cincinnati next week. So, like, you know, figure it out and avoid overtime. You know, you've you've lost all your guys. You don't want to play another quarter of football. Uh, so uh, so just let's uh, let's let's get it settled one way or the other. Um, but it requires that call. It requires a horrendous pass interference call in favor of Alan Lazard that sets up the touchdown to Aaron Jones that yep. ends up playing a paying huge dividends later. That's uh, third quarter, I believe. So, you know, there's also there's that. I mean, you know, like San Francisco was the least fluky. I say I'd say the four, but the Packers had to score. They got the ball back with 37 seconds. Like that's still incredible, no matter how incredible Aaron Rodgers yep. is. It's amazing. And they used the middle of the field to do it with no timeouts. Just ridiculous stuff. Um, and then Arizona, of course, you had a guy stop running his route in the middle of it. What would have been potentially a game winning <laughs> touchdown pass. That was and, nuts. Uh, and Cincinnati, you needed their kicker to kind of struggle just as much as the Packers kicker yep. did in that game. So, uh, you know, you could easily say those should be two and two at best in those four games. That would make them a nine win team instead of an 11 win team, you know, just kind of one in the pack. So I, I guess that's still where my headspace is that I feel like they've gotten lucky. I'm not comparing this. I'm sure other teams have gotten lucky close wins as well. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm discounting that, that every team has at least two or three lucky wins on their docket if they are as good as an 11 win football team with with three games to play. But. I guess I guess that's where I'm at. I come out of this game thinking, I'm obviously it's great that the Packers won. I, I don't I, I don't know if I still buy them as the best team in the NFC, 
but uh, but they are certainly in line to get the one seed, and that might that might it might not matter if you're the best team if you can put yourself in that position. Yeah, it's it's pretty clear that they have some warts. Like it, the defense is, I, st- I still think generally speaking, good, but they they do have a few big plays go against them seemingly every week um, that uh, other good defenses do clean up, and they definitely had that happen in this game. The Bears had you know a couple of long scores up the middle against them, um, and they definitely have some luck in their numbers that they are a nine win Pythagorean team. Um, they don't have an overwhelming um, record in one score games. They're four and two, I believe, which, you know, that happens a lot, um, but there's some luck in here and they're, they're certainly not, you can make a good case. They're not like one of the dominant teams out there. But um, one thing I will say about, about luck records is the teams with the best quarterbacks tend to, uh, defy the luck stuff a little bit. Um, even if you go back to Justice's old uh, one-score game stuff, he even had a caveat in there for Peyton Manning. The the one team that always defied regression to the mean there was the Peyton Manning team. And a, a lot of the Packers' luck is, is luck, but there's also some Aaron just, well, if you gave him 35 seconds in the ball, he'll usually fix whatever you screwed up earlier. So <laughs> some of that, some of that too. But I, I do agree with you, like, there's in the road games especially it's easy to see a few flips of the coin have their record make it being significantly worse than it is so yeah um, yeah be, be humble and, and you know maybe they get some guys back from injury maybe they don't but maybe they do and then that turns them into what their record actually says they are yeah that's a good point all right so the humble portion of the program is special teams yeah. they were they were not as bad as the bears game that is the best thing you can say it is the bears game was historically catastrophic and this game was just garden variety catastrophic. So uh, the special teams DVOA still did go down a tenth of a percent. <laughs> did so, it really? It did. It's just a hair. Yeah. Holy so. smokes! I mean, Bohorquez is not punting like he was at the beginning of the year. <laughs> Isaac Adam run over, ran over a dude who tried to fair catch it. There were penalties. One that negated a long Amari Rogers run. Bless his heart. Yep. He's getting a. He's finally maybe figuring something out, and you negate his best contribution. Oh my gosh, Paul! It's it gets to the point where you know I I used to just go to the bathroom when drives ended. Like I didn't need to <laughs> punts and kickoffs, and now it's like you got to stick what, around because who what knows damage what you'll see. can they do? Yeah, it's. It's troubling, but I don't know what more there is to say about it. They're they're trying. They're putting their yep. you're putting starters on on those teams. So like I don't know what they so, can do. Tex ran the numbers on their starter snaps on special teams. They actually didn't play that many um, start that much more starter reps than they did normally. If you exclude hands team reps, uh, the only starters that got significant snaps on special teams were uh, Razul, who actually usually does play special teams quite a bit anyway, and uh, the running backs in their various um, hands team incarnations. And that was kind of it. So it was not an overwhelming move to have starters out there, and uh, they could do more of it. But it it, it it's not just a, a a straight fix for the problem either. Uh, special teams is something you have to practice. Um, they're they're clearly bad at practicing it. But like uh, throwing a starter on there who hasn't had to maintain lane discipline for a while is not ex- not necessarily better. I mean, your guy's going to be more talented. He's going to be faster, better tackler, whatever. But uh, it, it it does take some reps often as well. So, uh, and you don't want to get guys hurt. I don't, it's a tough problem, and I, I, we've talked about it to death. There's not a there's not an easy solution. Maybe when they get to the playoffs, they do load up on starters just to avoid catastrophes. But uh, it it's still bad. Every week it's something new. This week it was penalties and a few kick returns, and um, I'm sure they'll find something fun next week too. It's only a kick. 
a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right. How about the Browns? Kind of a, kind of a hard team to gauge because they're yeah. missing so many guys with COVID. You figure a bunch of them will be back, but but we don't know. We still don't know. I mean, it's like every every NBA, NFL you know, college basketball game. I feel like this is the same. You don't, you don't know who's going to be available any given night because of, because of the COVID-19 protocols. So like, I, I don't know how much, how much analysis people nope. can even, can even get into at this point. It's really hard to preview. I, I, I don't know what to tell anybody, but uh, I, I feel like the best way is just assume that people will be there. And then if they don't show up, assume they'll be worse than that. Sure. Yeah, so, for sure. Uh, the, I mean, the last game, they, they were down two quarterbacks against the Raiders. They played Nick Mullins and uh, just so everybody knows, um, with basically any advanced stat, Nick Mullins is the worst quarterback to play in the NFL over the last three or four seasons and uh, only made to look good by uh, Kyle Shanahan engineering good throws out of him. So uh, actually he didn't play played better than I thought he would against the Raiders, but still just atrocious. Um, <laughs> their, their normal backup is Case Keenum. He's actually okay. You can do some work with Case Keenum, but uh, it's not great. Let's assume they have Baker for the sake of this argument because Baker is their starter. And uh, even if they got Baker, Baker's not very good. Um, but I, I've, I think the, the, the uh, shimmer has sort of worn off Baker at this point and everybody kind of realizes he's not that good. It's more just an argument about is he like kind of good, Matt Stafford kind of good, or is he like more like below average um, uh, what uh, Joe Flacco-y, I guess. I'd say that's kind of where he lands. He's like Joe Flacco good. So he can win with Baker Mayfield, but uh, his career high is 17th in DVOA, which is where he sits currently. And they call plays like they're afraid of their quarterback with Baker out there. And you never, you don't want that. Uh, part of that, I think, is offensive philosophy. They do have good running backs and a good offensive line, but uh, they create all kinds of easy stuff for Baker. They roll him out a ton. They roll him out second most to the Ravens who have Lamar Jackson and Tyler Huntley. Um, they don't like him in the pockets. He's also a short man and gets passes batted down a lot. Um, and uh, they hurt themselves a bit when they got rid of OBJ, who, you know, he's a, he's a mess and a weirdo and whatever, but they don't really have another field stretcher and defenses have started cheating up on their run game. So um, their, their offense has taken a big step back this year with sort of the revamped, not quite as athletic um, receiving core that they now throw out there regularly. So, Donovan Peoples Jones. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just a fun name to say. I'm is, not saying he's good or anything. It's just a fun it's, name. To it say. is a fun name to say. Uh, he actually like uh, a pretty good college player and um, and, and a good athlete. I, I, I could see why he fell though. Like if you did watch the last game where Nick Mullins was throwing him crappy passes, um, he had he had this deep ball down the sideline where. 
I was focusing on his feet because it looked like he failed to get his feet in bounds, even though he had like a full yard of space to get his feet in bounds. But it turned out he just didn't catch the ball either. They hit him right <laughs> in the hands. Um, and that's kind of what you get with him. He's a little MVSE. I think that's actually a pretty good comp for oh. Donovan Peoples Jones, where he is a burner and he will get himself open, especially downfield. But whether he's going to actually bring the ball in and whether he has the body control to do some of the things receivers have to do is still an open question. That said, he's their best receiver. So <laughs> that, that's what you're going with there. Um, yeah. Jarvis Landry's been hurt a lot. He's probably actually their best receiver, but he's like a glorified tight end at this point. He's 10 yards a catch and not explosive at all. Got it. I feel like the Browns are really top heavy because I can name, yep. you know, a lot of guys. Miles Garrett's the obvious one. He could still win Defensive Player of the Year. You know, Denzel Ward. There's the rookie, Jeremiah Koromoa. <laughs> Ozu Koromoa. I mean, obviously, Baker Mayfield, Nick Chubb. They're like Joel Batonio, Wyatt Teller, like J.C. Treader because he's a Packer, but like... Yep. I feel like I feel like those guards are some of the more familiar names among offensive guards in all of football. I, I don't know if that's really a thing at all, but <laughs> feels like it is. And yet, I, and yet, maybe they, you know, I, I don't know. Despite having all that talent, they seem to just not have. I guess it's just a depth question. They seem to just not have, yep. not have anything below that first line. I think that's really it. The, the two big things you can say about the Browns at a high level are Baker puts a ceiling on the offense just because he's not very good. And depth puts a ceiling on the whole team. They, they have stars, but they also have a lot of scrubs. And especially on defense, teams have done a very nice job of picking on their scrubs. Like, Miles My- Garrett is great. Any stat you look at has Miles Garrett as the best edge rusher in football. And Denzel Ward is also an outstanding corner. And you'd think in this game, like, okay, you put Denzel Ward on Devontae Adams. You get a good pass rush with Garrett and other people capitalizing on Garrett's presence. And that's a pretty good start against the Packers. But that hasn't worked this year. Um, they, they're they ranked uh, 20th on death. Bad on DVOA. My football outsiders thing just closed on me. But uh, they're, they're a lower third team overall on defense, and especially against the pass. Um, and if you look at their splits, they're not even that bad against any singular position uh, receiver-wise, except number two. They're bad against number two receivers, which, again, the Packers can't really capitalize on. They haven't at least this year. They should be good on defense, but they're always worse than the sum of their parts. Every single year this happens with them. And by the way, they went 11-5 last year. Um, they beat the, the Steelers in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, they were kind of a fraudulent 11-5. They, they had a negative uh, point differential last year. They have essentially the same point differential this year at 7-7. Seven and seven. So um, it's a team that's playing down to itself this year. And um, if, if the Packers are smart, which they often are, they shouldn't have trouble scoring. Um, it, it's... The, the Browns have the, the, they remind me a little of the Vikings and they have the Vikings coach so that makes a lot of sense like they have a lot of good players they just never seem to add up to what they should add up to and they always shoot themselves in the foot and let's not forget that they just played on Monday night because of the COVID thing yep. so they're gonna on a Saturday game on Christmas day you know they're gonna have essentially a week of Thursday football that that the Packers aren't facing so that's uh that's that's very tough. I mean, obviously they'll have a lot of guys. You would assume guys back that did not play yeah. in this game on Monday night, so that mitigates it to a degree. But, but uh, but weird. I am a big proponent of the idea of getting University of Wisconsin alums as both offensive and defensive player of the year in the NFL this year. So uh, <laughs> Jonathan Taylor, I think, might be running away with that award in uh, the Indianapolis Colts running back. I don't think he's going to win MVP. I think it'll probably go to. Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers, yep. but uh, but Jonathan Taylor is quickly becoming the heavy favorite for that award, he and is. then uh, and then it's gonna kind of I think come down to Miles Garrett and T.J. And TJ. Watt. Yep. 
of the Steelers. Now, now both of those teams are hovering right at 500. So like Cleveland would go below 500 if they lost to the Packers. The Steelers are seven, six and one. And that tie came against the Lions. So like <laughs> that should be considered a loss. So like, I don't know if that, I don't know if that really factors in the DPOI conversation, but it certainly would help yep. uh, to have a team that's, that's above water. It would. And, uh, you know, so like there's a little bit of fringe benefit there. If the Packers can beat the Browns, it puts T.J. Watt a little bit closer in my mind to uh, to the DPOI honor. T.J. Watt has 17 and a half sacks of all the great players in the steel curtain. No one has had more in a single season. Dude missed two games this year and he's got three more to go. It's crazy. But at least we have a bad dime cornerback. So, you know, uh, yes, <laughs> yes. Um, all right. So shall we get to questions? Let's do questions. All right, let's start with our Patreon questions. Of course, patrons have question priority. PJ Vessels said, so the Lions upset the whole Packers versus the North win contest. It's a shame, but it's true. We talked about that last week. Yep. Who will win more, the Packers or the rest of the North? Well, we know now that, uh, you know, the Lions having having makes make it impossible, having defeated the, uh, the Arizona Cardinals just a beat down against a, a playoff team. Uh, also, he points out, PJ points out, there were no turnovers. So offense versus the special teams. Yep. Uh, who's going to turn the ball over more this year? They're still tied at, uh, you know, tied. Still he tied. Still tied. Yeah. Yep. He said the Packers had 26 first downs on 59 plays. It's almost 50% first downs. Is that really good? <laughs> it, uh, really has there been a, <laughs> it's really good. It's really Spoiler, good. Yes. Has there been a better performance? Also, could that high of a percentage be bad because they weren't scoring on more plays? So it's hard to actually look up. Um, it's not the best they've done, though. I, I, I found a few games in the past where I think they converted more first downs on first and second downs. Um, I think they had at least one last year, I think, against the Lions. But it's it's hard to check, but it's it's good. So um, it's good whenever you can avoid third downs. And it's also weird. The Packers actually kind of are a schedule team where they they play for third and short, which is not what you should do. And in this game, they, they really didn't have to that much. They were picking up first downs with regularity. And uh, it's, it's a big positive sign. It's it's not a secret bad thing at all um it, should they have scored more touchdowns uh, not too many more <laughs> they scored a lot <laughs> uh, i mean you're not gonna score every single time you touch the ball they had good efficiency in this game uh, I, I don't have any offensive complaints and anytime you can get 26 first downs on 59 plays the only problem with that is not running enough plays that's it it was a slow game slow methodical game between the two slowest paced uh teams in the league and yet the Ravens had just one possession in the third quarter, yep. including into the fourth Which quarter. Which is so insane. Like, yeah, like I don't even know how that happens. Um, the one, I guess if you want to quibble, they they do have first to goal on the six and they go backwards. They have kind of a panicky like little dump off to Devante that lost six yards. And then uh, Rogers overthrows Lazard in the end zone for what would have been a touchdown. That yep. turns into three points instead of seven. So that, I guess, I guess you could say was, was a, you know, I don't see the offense was great. Yep. <laughs> the offense was really good. All right. Jay Google, Jay Google asks, would it have been smart of the Ravens to go for two when they scored to make it 31 23 instead of the extra point? Or uh, if they miss it there, they have another shot to tie. At least uh, you wanted to tie this together with a question. Jonathan deal asked off Twitter. Why is analytics so much more strongly in favor of going for two down 14 when you score the first touchdown? And the second is more of a toss up. Yep. Um, and um, Jeremy Moan kind of asked the same question with the chargers. Um, lumping in fourth down decisions. Okay, so so here's the deal with this. And, and JR touched on this earlier that um, you were fine going for two, even though analytics might say differently. One of the weird things about this decision is analytics did not actually like the two-point conversion decision um, at the end of the game. Now, um, analytics is kind of a boogeyman here. So um, <laughs> yes. here, here's, here's the thing. Uh, when we say analytics, it's just a model that essentially tells you the following information, that... Um, 
if you think you have X chance of scoring on the play, then you should go for it. If you think you have X chance of not scoring on the play, you shouldn't. And um, two parts here, but let's start with the first one. The reason that a lot of the analytics people didn't like um, the two-point decision here was actually because of how much time was left in the game. Um, there were still 42 seconds when the conversion finished, which means had they converted and gone up by a point, um, the Packers would have gotten the ball back after a kickoff um, with you know something like 40, 35 or 42 seconds, depending on whether they return it or not, with a timeout, um, needing just to get into field goal range to win. And uh, here's where some judgment comes into it. A lot of research shows if a team is down by one, they will obviously do whatever they need to do to get into field goal range and win the game in regulation. Otherwise, they lose. If they're tied, a lot of teams will just suck it up and get conservative and be happy to go to overtime. Um, and it's not so much even just like, oh, well, you might be thinking, well, Aaron Rodgers, you wouldn't do that with him. You'll still go shoot for the win. But it's not that simple. Like if you, for instance, um, have like a second and eight and you take a sack and it's third and 13. Um, or a holding call. Or, yeah. And you get buried. Are you, you know, if you need to win, you're still tucking the ball down the field. If you don't, maybe you pack it up at that point. So um, that's partially where that comes in. And the other part of this question is, uh, all all of the nerds were in favor of going for two earlier uh, on the, the the earlier score um, to make it a thirteen point versus fifteen point game. Um, and you, people are probably asking, well, what's the difference whether you go for it early or late? Um, and the difference is when you go for it early, you have a lot more information about what's going to come based on whether you make it or not. And, and by the way, implicit in all this is if you go to overtime. Um, you have a 50-50 shot, essentially. Now, um, you know, you can do your own calculations. The Ravens were missing their entire secondary. Um, the Packers had scored pretty much at will for the rest of the second half. Maybe you want to make that 60-40, whatever. It doesn't matter. Just think about it. It halves whatever your, your, your chances you think are going to overtime. Always keep that in mind. But you go for two early. Um, if you make it, then all you need to do on your next play is kick the extra point and you win. Uh, if you miss it, then you know that you've missed it. So you can, on your next drive, still go for two. Um, maybe if time permits and there's more scoring than you think, there's still a field goal bringing, bringing into it. Um, and uh, you still get the benefit of that tie. So if, you, so if you make it, it's great. If you lose it, you still need a two-point conversion later. That's the downside to it. Scoring two-point conversions is hard. Um, you tie the game. You get the maybe we'll go to overtime benefit from doing so. But it's just an information thing. It is... Um, we go early, we know what we need to get out of our next drive. And it's either super easy and we win the game, or it's a little more difficult, but we're essentially in the same situation of needing a two-point conversion. So um, big benefit, um, not a huge downside, although not nothing. Um, and all in all, I'll say this. On this decision, I think it's close enough that it really doesn't matter. It, it's kind of splitting splitting hairs. Both decisions were completely defensible, and I don't think Harbaugh should be... Uh, taking any crap just because it didn't work out. Um, I mean, the outcome of your decision shouldn't actually fact shouldn't be what we judge people on for using analytics to make a decision. It's the process, and uh, that process isn't like if you do this, you'll win. It, it's not what it is at all. There's, uh, you know, I get this a lot with um, my, my saying you shouldn't draft a running back high. Like people always come back to me and say like, well, Jonathan Jonathan Taylor is super awesome, and he was yes, he is. Uh, my my statement doesn't contemplate there never being a good running back taken in the first round. Um, quite the opposite. It does happen. Um, that's not the point. This is a process point. 
Um, and the Chargers going for it and just being um, shut out on, I think it was three, four downs in their game, is kind of the same thing. You shouldn't go and judge it by virtue of the fact that they didn't convert fourth or, st- four, or three, four downs. That's that's bad luck. I mean, <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, um, and and yeah, you can point to the fact that if they'd kicked field goals on those, it they they would have probably won the game. Um, they would have had much better control of the game converting any single one of those. Um, and that's that's what it comes down to. Those so, so never look at the the end result. I mean, um, it, like I said, it doesn't guarantee you a result if you do the thing. It, it doesn't at all. You have to execute and actually make the play happen. Um, it is just saying you have a better chance if you do this and succeed um, versus if you and also including if you do this and fail versus if if you take the the easy safe way out. And, that, and that's what it comes down to. So it's probably also a fringe benefit to going for two earlier and then knowing that you're going to go for two again seeing it twice, seeing that defense twice. There's yep. only so much you can do when your back's against the end zone. There aren't, it's not like there's a million different schemes you can go to. So uh, there's something there. And, and then it's what I said earlier, you know, you're depleted. The last thing you need is another quarter of football. Who knows when the game ends? If you go to overtime, you're playing against Cincinnati the following week in a much more meaningful game for your division hopes. The Packers game is meaningful because you have to win every game, but it's also just, you stand to lose more. You yeah. just stand to lose more. If you wind up with this, with that Ravens team, you know, prolonging the game. Yep. So and I feel like and, and I feel like I was wishy-washy there, and I didn't, I didn't give my opinion. Um, I actually think going for two was the right decision for a lot of the reasons you're saying. Um, I would it comes down to this. Yeah, the Packers get the ball back one more time, but if you go to overtime and Aaron gets the ball first, there's a good chance you're going to lose. Here, you have the ball in in your own hand. You have a quarterback who's run for two t- t- touchdowns. You've been good in short yardage. Like you, you actually control what you're doing. You're not having to react to what the Packers are doing. And I'd much rather be in that position to win the game than having the coin flip, give it to the Packers, and never seeing the ball at all. Yeah. No one in my timeline thought they were going to kick the extra point. Everyone thought they were going for two. So I was a little surprised yeah. from the, my the, anecdotal experience when people were like, what is he doing? And I'm like, the I only person, I thought he was going for two. The only person I saw like predicting that they would kick the extra point was actually Ben Baldwin, who had the Baldwin bot come up with, oh, it's it's a mild kick the point. And then be a little surprised when they went for two. I was like, well, of course they're going for two. Pay attention. Uh, yeah. Come on, Baldwin bot. Yeah. I love the Baldwin bot. Uh, anyway, uh, so also, John, we, we kind of skipped over this, but Jeremy Moen asked, yeah. we'd love to hear your analysis of the Chargers' fourth down decisions Thursday as well as the two-point conversion. I uh, feel like people love to be able to point out that these decisions were bad because they did not work. So, uh, so yeah, we answered all that kind of wrapped into one. Mark Putscarby asks, does a team trade for Tyler Huntley to be their starter this offseason? And if <laughs> Paul was the GM of a team needing a quarterback, how much would he be willing to trade for Tyler Huntley? So hmm. Huntley's an exclusive rights free agent. I, I I will confess, I always forget how that kind of works. But uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> he will he will likely be at least a little bit available. And um, I, I mean, I really believe in the guy and he has basically adhered to my scouting. So um, I would actually trade quite a bit. I, w- I would definitely be a, a Ron Wolf dealing for Favre in this situation, um, especially if um, I-, I didn't have any quarterback of the future anytime soon. Um, next year is not a good quarterback draft. Um, you are waiting Detroit Lions. You're, you're waiting at least two years until you draft a decent quarterback, and then you got some development time there. So uh, if you trade for Tyler Huntley and you believe he's you know a decent quarterback, you got three years of finding out before you are dipping back into the draft for anything worthwhile. And um, I, I think I, I continue to think he's really good. Um, I certainly give up a second rounder. 
Um, I, that, this might be crazy, by the way, but I've been crazy the whole time on him, and I'm right. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, I would, I, I'd be hard pressed for a first. But here's the thing. Here's what I would do. I'll go back. I'll look at spreadsheets. I will remind myself. Well, quarterbacks like eight times more important than any other position, and any given first rounder I use next year and probably the following year for. Any position other than quarterback is going to be worth less than Tyler Huntley. Unless I think there's a quarterback coming out that I can conceivably draft in the next two years, it's probably worth it. And so that's what I would do. Um, <laughs> now, uh, I'm running the team. And so uh, since I'm running the team, I have a coach that can make the best use of Tyler Huntley's skill set and will be creative with mobility. For instance, if the Bears, with their current organization, had Tyler Huntley, he would probably suck because Justin <laughs> Fields... His uh, poor Justin Fields is out there um, in a, a garbage offense, not making use of his mobility at all, that ran a wildcat play, um, not using him the other day. Um, there's a lot of offenses where he's not going to work because it's it's just not a good organization and it's not a, a coaching situation that can make the best use of him. But if I have a Shanahan tree guy, if I have a Greg Roman tree guy, if I have anybody with the Bills, anybody who has made good use of mobile quarterbacks in the past, um, I'm all over that. If I'm the Colts, I'm all over that. If I'm um, the 49ers, who I think are not in love with Trey Lance, I'm all over that. Um, anybody of that ilk. And yes, the Packers should be c considered part of that if Aaron does shuffle off. Um, I said at the time of his draft that I like Tyler Huntley better than Jordan Love, and I continue to like Tyler Huntley better than Jordan Love. Um, I think that he would do very well in Matt LaFleur's offense, and I'd be more than happy to have him as well. All right, man. I feel like uh, I'm a big Oscar movie guy. And so uh, a lot of times I listen to a lot of podcasts, people who've seen screeners of films before the general population could see them. I'm always very jealous of them because they're talking about these movies that people here in the Midwest have never had a chance <laughs> to see. I feel like I've seen the screener on the Tyler Hunt Huntley greatness story because we've been talking about it so much. And now, you know, like Mike Florio, I think I saw was writing about, oh, Tyler Huntley, like we he's been great all along. We didn't even know. <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah, we saw this screener. We knew this was coming. We, we knew this was happening and now it's been released to the world. So, uh, yep. so this is, this is quite the time, quite it, the time to be Paul Noonan. Very nice today. Actually, Michael David Smith put, put up a post at pro football talk today and cited directly to me on it. So nice. yeah. Nice. Oh, so that wasn't Florio. That was, it was, uh, it was Mike. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> what a week for Paul Noonan. What a yep. great time. Good, good week. For uh, me. Brett Smith says, how well does uh, does the Packers beat up offensive line matchup with the Browns defensive line? We did kind of talk about that. <laughs> it ain't great. I mean, they don't match up with anybody well in theory, but they keep being good. So no. <laughs> um, I just think they're really good at, at giving help where it's needed and letting guys go one on one where they can survive. And uh, the thing with the Browns is they have, a, they, by the way, Tackerus McKinley is out for the year now, too, which um, helps this a lot because it, it, it is a blow to their depth. And uh, I think that they can get away with doubling Garrett, and I think they'll be okay. Um, I mean, he's awesome. They don't have anybody who could take him one-on-one, -on -one, don't get me wrong. But I think as a unit, uh, they should hold up pretty well against the, the unit that, they're, that is in front of them, even though it's top-heavy and great. Yeah, I felt like maybe it was a little leakier than than it had been the previous game, but I mean, I don't know what you want from the exactly the line. It's done everything <laughs> it can. And uh, I, I guess I was a little dismayed to see early in the week that David Bakhtiari, even they did, the Packers didn't practice yet, but they list him as a uh, would not have uh, a, yeah. a DNP. Yeah, so like that's man, uh, just like I'm getting, I'm, I'm starting to wonder if he's. I, I believe he's coming back, but 
just that we have we're not even seeing him in the in the practice. I don't know. I don't know if he's coming back. So uh, so that's that's a little bit of a blow. I uh, was hoping hoping we'd be further along and David Bakhtiari would be back on the field at this point. Yep. And Billy Turner might not be, you know, knee injury. Like, who knows if he's coming back? It's I, I would be surprised to see him before, you know, before the end of the regular season. So I don't know, man. Yep. All right. Ted Korth asked, talk about talk about <laughs> this is directed right at me. Uh, we mentioned this last week. The, uh, the the talk about do people not know about this? This is maybe just a journalism thing. Do you want me, do you want me to give the quick thirty second version before? Sure, you go ahead. Go okay, ahead. Go so ahead, yeah. so uh, the, uh, journal. The theory behind talk about being a problem is that journalists interviewing anybody um, should be prepared to ask actual questions uh, that have that has come to them to garner information out of the subject. But especially in sports interviews, you will frequently hear the interviewer just say talk about this moment or can you talk about that moment which isn't mm-hmm. a question designed to get deeper or uh, elicit any you know non-controversial information from the subject if that makes sense so yeah okay so i i express that the pushback that has resulted is is not something i'm totally comfortable with i think it's a little gatekeepery by the journalism community i, I should preface it by saying i don't think this is like a scourge or the, the worst thing about the journalism community i don't think it's that bad i myself do not try. I don't try to use that phrase. Talk about. I don't try to use that framing device myself. Um, I just don't begrudge people who do. And uh, so, so yeah. Like if if you were to say talk about talk about the touchdown record, Aaron Rodgers that that you just said. <laughs> you know, yeah, that can be seen. I guess as a little amateurish, or, and maybe you know taking away not not bringing anything to the table as the question asker as somebody who you know not showing off any expertise and just rather than than crafting a question being like here here's this topic uh but there's two reasons i don't like the pushback and the first the first one's kind of easier it's just that i just don't like gatekeepery stuff in general we talked about that with fans you know that's a big popular thing that fans do you know you don't say we if you're talking about your team and you don't do the wave and things like that uh i just i just don't like that in general i do think it's a subconscious way that journalists can label the inexperienced writers or people who aren't beat writers maybe maybe even the tv people to, to some degree people who are just you know maybe not as engaged as the as the everyday beat writer is i i've been in those shoes uh there are a lot of interns out there in post-game press conferences, guys who are running audio that don't have a lot of experience, or maybe they're just new to the beat. You know, I freelance for MLB.com for many, many years and and covering the visiting team when they would come to Milwaukee. I did as much legwork as I could. I tried to research the opponent. I tried to to uh, you know talk to the regular beat reporter to get a sense, talk to the PR guy to get a sense of who's good to talk to, who's not. But still, it's awkward. It's hard to craft an intelligent question, you know, without looking like an idiot because I haven't been there since spring training. I don't know all the ins and outs of these guys. So, uh, you know, I think actually question question asking for me is the hardest part of the job. You want to be, because you want to be specific to, to show that you do know the subject matter. So you do want to ask a question that's kind of nuanced, but you also are thinking about your readers or your viewers who don't like, you know, most people I'm writing for, I'm writing at greater length than, than a lot of places. And I'm still like, they don't care what the linebacker does in cover two. You know, like I can't, <laughs> I can't get that specific, even though that might be a good question to ask. So the, the best content, the best content actually comes from like being really conversational and it's hard to generate that. You've got 18 strangers in your personal space after you do your job asking about your job performance, you know, you're simulating you're simulating that conversation as best you can, but that's, you know, <laughs> they understand you're there to get quotes, but it's not natural. And, and guys resort to cliches very often. It, it's just, it's hard to get really good content out of that. So if someone falls back on talk about, 
to me, that's that's okay. Like it's it's hard to do that job. That part of the job is really tough. And I'm not going to throw stones because I I know what it's like to to struggle, and I know what it's like to really fret and think about question asking a lot. I but the second, oh, go oh, ahead, re- really quick, just to interject. I also think this mostly happens during post game interview when 100. That's just what I'm talking about. The field and. Uh, you're not going to like get super deep in that situation no matter what. And most of the time what the audience wants is just the athlete pontificating about what just happened and reacting emotionally to the moment. Like, So uh, especially in that scenario, I, I don't care about this at all. Right. And, and TV has a tough job because TV people – you know, they have to they have to get quote sound bites that encompass the entire event, you know, whether it is a sideline interview or just for your two minutes of newscast like they they have to ask questions like this. It, it sometimes is, is a source of derision, but but like they have a tough job. It's just a different agenda than the print writer or the podcaster or somebody who's going into great depth. You know, they're just they're trying to reach a really broad audience and they don't have a lot of time to do it. But the second reason that I really bristle against sort of the pushback is I think it's kind of a sneaky good way to get some stuff out of out of athletes you know like there are a lot of questions we ask that are similar that don't have the stigma like take us through that moment or what's going through your head you know those are good questions and it it kind of you know i think it kind of achieves this thing where you're 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 allowing the athlete free reign they might be hesitant to talk to a journalist they might not be just very glib or charismatic and, and now you're giving them the rope like you don't have to mm-hmm. curtail your answers to my specific question. Here's a topic. Go. And you're going to get some of the best stuff. You know, many athletes want to talk about it. They want to get cool you know, stuff off their chest. And if you want to find an answer that's unusual, that's good for a quote. Sometimes it's just like here you take the wheel and, you know, I'm guessing older school guys don't like to surrender control of the conversation. They want answers to specific things that they're prepared to write about. That's fine. I have nothing against that. But I would say in the interest of making it as natural as possible, you know, I do think that that might be a, a decent a decent way to do it. You know, like you can ask those hyper nuanced questions, but there's limitations to that. Your audience isn't going to be able to follow you if you're getting answers on like, you know, here were the reads and here were the different like the d- dimensions to every play like that's really good information and it's a good way to build trust and rapport that you know your stuff they know you know your stuff but it also doesn't necessarily make the best copy you know and you know this is i I could see like we're we're journalists i guess like i can understand is there's a precious window of time where you get post game with athletes and so if somebody's asking a question it's talk about or it's a flowery like you know what, what does it say about this team that you guys were so resilient you know or like what, what was it like with the fans like that that stuff can be bothersome because you only get like 10 minutes with somebody and and two or three of your questions you're sort of burning them into into these flowery things but again that's just for somebody who's who's working tv or somebody who just needs a small tidbit so there's different people with different agendas in those post-game settings. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, might, I reflexively roll my eyes. I do when I hear that stuff, but, but that's also not fair. Like that's just, that's just how they're operating. Yep. And do you, you know, know I, do you know, this ahead. works, you know, this works well on um, is actually Aaron Rodgers, uh, not in his post-game commentary, but in any other interview scenario, if you ask him a direct question, you will usually get a direct answer that doesn't actually tell you very much. But if you let Aaron Rodgers ramble and you can get him mm-hmm. talking, it reveals much more about him than um, than him saying, I'm immunized. Uh, if, like uh, 90 seconds of Aaron Rodgers talking about vaccine policy generally gives you a thousand times more information than asking him if he's vaccinated. So um, it, absolutely right. Yeah. Pat McAfee just like was like, hey, bud, you you talk to us. Yeah, yep. I, he got out of the way. And I know that he gets criticized for not being, you know, more direct and, and sort of pushing back. And, and I understand that. I completely understand that. But like you said, 
sometimes you get that stuff you get stuff you wouldn't get otherwise so it's not that i i do use talk about i don't i try not to but i also don't necessarily i'm like oh that's amateur hour somebody's somebody's saying talk about this talk about that like i i don't like the journalism journalists tend to push back on that for the for those reasons Whew, i saw wow i talked way too much about that shit happy ted okay. <laughs> yeah ted 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 with four words you know, two two words written twice got uh, got a long diatribe out of me. I uh, I apologize if I went went too long on that. So let's go to Danny Noonan, uh. your brother, Danny Noonan, the one, the only. Uh, in M- in Major League Baseball, teams shorten the rotation and maybe move a starter to the bullpen for the playoffs, or even bring in an ace to close in an elimination game. In the NBA, they shorten the bench. Do NFL teams ever move a bunch of starters to special teams? For the playoffs, and I think we kind of hit on that. How that may not apply the way it would in the NBA and Major League Baseball. Yep. So usually, usually they don't because they don't need to, but it's not unheard of. And I think the Packers probably will, um, especially if it starts to become a problem in the playoffs. So it does happen occasionally. Teams definitely will fill in uh, identified uh, weak spots with starters. They usually don't go whole hog and like change the whole team over. But uh, you will definitely in the playoffs see more. Packers starters on special teams than you normally would. Yep, it'll happen. All right, we're moving on now to Twitter questions, starting with Ben Saylor. Who do we think is returning kicks next week? And could the special teams unit actually get so bad they make a 33rd spot that ranks them one lower than the worst possible <laughs> statistical ranking? Oh, uh, the poor, poor special teams. Uh, but, but you know, Amari got hurt. Malik Taylor got hurt. Yep. I mean, are we, are we, is it Patrick Taylor? Is it Chandon Sullivan? I'm I mean, go who with, in the world? I'm going to go with Chandon on this um, because I think Chandon is the kind of guy who is like, uh, just tell me what to do and I'll go do it to provide value. And he's not been good in the slots. And uh, I could see him actually tr- seizing the opportunity to, to, to contribute something here. Um, so I, I will actually, not an informed decision, but I'll go with Chandon in that role. Yeah, I think that's where they're headed as well. With Patrick Taylor as maybe the next man up if those guys yeah, can't go. Yeah, although he's had so many shots at this at this point. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I don't Darnell Savage. Like, I honestly like don't even know what the depth chart even looks like. I don't know even the names. Tyler Davis. Tyler Davis. Can you uh, can you can you catch a ball? That's <laughs> <laughs> straight up in the air. Uh, Max Mad Max asks with with Henry Black struggling as of late. Why hasn't Vernon Scott? been given a chance to fill the third safety role he's been inactive almost every week and we've never seen an explanation why yeah they have, a, they have a couple of those um but uh, i think it is because they like henry black versatility this is, uh, this is stupid uh this is one of those things where versatility can be bad because you can be bad in multiple roles and it, it's not like he plays corner but henry black's a really good athlete and i think that they see the athleticism and get um hypnotized by it a little bit but he's really bad um, and uh, I, at some point, you do have to give Vernon Scott or someone else a shot. I mean, Black, Black has played badly enough that you should either have Scott elevated or have realized he's so much worse than Henry Black that he shouldn't be on the team at all. Um, so uh, short answer, I don't know. I do think it is a little bit of Henry Black being just a better athlete, but he, they, gotta, they, they should give Vern, or somebody else a shot. Uh, at this point, it's, it's pretty rough. Yeah, Vernon Scott with the Yash Nyman energy here, you know, yeah. being kept around. There's clearly a reason that they like this guy, but uh, we just haven't seen him do anything on the field. So nope. it's hard to really know what, what to expect there. All right. Uh, that's it for Twitter questions. We do have a Discord question. A couple of them, actually. Coffee Addict says, in the past few games, there was almost always the one receiver we just couldn't cover to save our lives. Justin Jefferson, Van Jefferson, 
Mark Andrews, do you guys think this is going to be a troubling trend or is this something that may get fixed come playoff time? And the challenging thing there is, of course, Mark Andrews is nothing like the Jeffersons. So it's kind <laughs> of a, it's kind of weird, but, but he's right that there, there does seem to be that one guy that, that teams can consistently go back to against Packers defenses. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the one thing I'll say here is um, Justin Jefferson is along with Devante, like the best receiver in football. So uh, the fact that they get burned by him isn't the worst thing in the world. It just no shame. he's super awesome, and there's not really a good comparison for him out there. The only guy who's been as productive as Justin this year is Cooper Cup, and you know they were they were pretty much okay against him. He did not do a huge amount of damage against them. Um, Von Jefferson, in fact, hurt them quite a bit more. <laughs> um, but I think all of these are one-offs to some extent. Uh, Mark Andrews is playing in a very unusual offense that nobody can really copy. Like the 49ers don't run the same offense, but they have Kittle. You worry about that a little bit, but um, I, I think the Packers are really good at sort of picking their spots to take people away. And Mark Andrews beat them very badly in this game and almost won the game for them. But the benefit they got out of that was Hollywood just doing absolutely nothing against them. Um, and uh, you can you can live with that to some extent. If they get Alexander back, that might cease to be a problem altogether. But uh, they also did a better job on Andrews in the second half. They, um, I, I think that they're smart enough that they usually get this kind of thing fixed. Some guys are just really hard to defend. Like it's nobody is good at taking away Justin Jefferson. Adam Thielen's been out a couple of weeks, and it, no, they still can't solve him, uh, even <laughs> though the Vikings are completely falling apart. So um, I, I'm not sure that's as big a problem a, a, as we may think it is. Uh, I, th I think that they're all right there. All right, last question. Keg36 asks, what else is new and exciting <laughs> that special teams can mess up? I was not expecting to delay a game on the punt. You know, we haven't had any blocked punts returned for touchdowns. Yep, that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, I've got a couple others that I can see happening if you want. I've been I've been brainstorming what we haven't seen yet. Uh, one, I would, one I would say is accidentally fielding a ball near the goal line having your momentum take you back into the end zone and, and then being or, or just being confused about what you can and can't do at that point <laughs> and, and getting tackled either at the one or maybe for a safety depending on how that went i think that's a good one uh what i could see happening is is mason uh doing a kickoff that is close to the sideline and having the other team pull the go out of bounds and touch the ball from out of bounds creating a penalty um, which is not a Packers screw-up, well, uh, except for kicking it too close to out-of-bounds, but you know, punishing them on special teams nonetheless. Um, I, I, I like those as potential options. Uh, th those are both good. We've talked so much about the rotating wheel of guys they've had return. That's why I think your first scenario is entirely plausible. Yep. Somebody who just like <laughs> kind of knows how those work, rules work, but not necessarily. Um, we haven't had Mason Crosby miss a field goal with the uh, that, that cost them a game. Yet, yeah, which is uh, kind like of at, insane. The, at the buzzer, I mean, or in the fourth quarter, late in yeah. the fourth quarter. Uh, obviously, the Cincinnati it should have, it did, it didn't. I don't, I don't know how. I, I, got, I still don't know how he made the last one. I, I got a long shot for you too, which is yeah, th they run a fake that blows up in their face. <laughs> Can Corey Bahorkas pass a little bit? I, <laughs> I mean, the gall of even trying that with the special teams unit would be amazing. <laughs> I know what'll solve our problems: more complexity. Let's go, baby! I can, I can just picture an announcer already saying, like, if you're gonna do that, why not just put it in Aaron Rodgers' hands in the first place? You got the best quarterback in football. Like, that's that's kind of what I, I, I foresee in my crystal ball. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm I'm gonna go on the blocked punt. You know, you know, like, the, as bad as it's been. 
blocked punts that are returned, you know, like down inside the five or return for touchdowns. Like that's where it's really at. That's where special teams can absolutely destroy you. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's been horrendous, but like, it hasn't been that. So maybe, maybe it's still on our bingo card and maybe, uh, maybe it doesn't quite happen that way. I, I don't know, but they're, <laughs> they've got this terrible special teams unit and they've got the best record in football. So again, like I said last week, I know that uh, nobody agrees with me, and I, I don't even know if I agree with myself. But like, you can win the Super Bowl with horrendous <laughs> special teams. It can be done. It can be done. It is the least important phase. It is important, but it is the least important. So you can get away with it if your offense and defense is amazing. All true. Yeah. All right. That's all we got, man. We're done. We're uh, done. Okay. Um, before we go, um, anything that you would like to plug, Jr. Well, I did the tiebreakers thing, and I also looked at the odds that Aaron Rodgers uh, has for winning MVP. They've improved quite dramatically. Yep. Uh, in some cases, he's now the front runner, runner to repeat uh, as NFL MVP, which is wild. But, I mean, honestly, <laughs> after after the Bucks, like, that's a really big loss for Tampa Bay. I mean, it, it affects the tiebreaker thing quite a bit. And, uh, you know, Tom Brady getting shut out in a big spot, that's that's people are paying attention to that. And uh, it's it's kind of hard to justify saying Tom Brady's the MVP when you've got a team two games ends up. I mean, right now it's just one game, but like yeah. ends up higher on the totem pole with a quarterback who's also doing work. Uh, you could see uh, you could see that working out for Aaron Rodgers. So totally. Yeah. So that's it. I, I will not be around next week. I'll be out on vacation, headed out west. So unfortunately, I won't be here for reporting as eligible or doing any any goodies for JSOnline.com. But obviously, you still need to follow what's going on there. JSOnline.com. Lots of great Packers stuff and other other uh, Wisconsin sports as well. Yep. And uh, I have my Shepherd Express column wrapping up the Baltimore game, praising Tyler Huntley again. Um, I will probably have some kind of stats beats up later this week for Acme Packing Company. Um, I was on the Olive Gold podcast last night for Acme Packing Company. I was on the baseball podcast on Sunday. I've been talking my butt off. Um, yeah. And um, I'm uh, I am also traveling, so I don't know what this is going to be next week. Um, but Ooh. we'll do we'll do something. So. <laughs> yeah. You know what? And may, who knows? I'll have my computer probably. So maybe maybe we can come up with something. Yeah. Yeah. It, it might. It, we'll see. It might not be a normal show. It kind of just depends on availability and traffic and weather and all kinds of stuff. So. Yeah. Understood. Uh, yep. Um, and also the uh, the uh, mini pod previewing the Browns will be up on Friday, and I already recorded it, so that will happen. Um, okay. But that, that, that'll do it for us. Um, thank you for joining us, and do enjoy the Christmas Browns game. Burn on, big river. Burn on. Now the Lord can make you tumble. The Lord can make you turn. The Lord can make you overflow. Lord can make you burn Burn on